to Breaking Down Bits, a conversation about great comedy bits with the comedians who wrote and performed them. Hey, welcome to Breaking Down Bits. I'm Brian Gendron. What's up? I'm Drew Jordan, and we are back. We've been uh, been really excited about these last couple episodes. Want to remind you to definitely go back and uh, and grab all those past episodes. If you just found us and this is the first time you're listening, or you haven't listened in a minute, a lot of great uh, episodes. You can find them all at breakingdownbits.com. You can find it on YouTube. You can find it on wherever you listen to podcasts. So. If you're an aspiring comedian, a lot of great tips, stories, ideas about uh, the business side and the creative side of comedy. So check those out. Yeah. If you go back and look, there are 49 episodes as of the time of this recording, which is, this means this is episode 50. Yeah, that feels, is, that feels is, big. Is that a thing? I don't know, but it is. We, we should have a cake. <laughs> We should have made a cake, uh, <laughs> but this is going to be a great episode and uh, certainly go back and check out all the old episodes, including our last one, episode 49 with Mike Becky own. Do you have any callbacks? Yeah. I, I mean, it's super simple, but we always, you know, kind of get into how did you get your big breaks? How, how did these big things happen for you in comedy? And his response on the podcast, which you can go back and listen to the full response was basically don't you can't get those if you're an outsider, you're going to have to invest some time and energy in becoming a part of your local scene. Of course, now things are slightly different because of social media and you can obviously connect with people um, on Instagram and, and Facebook and all that kind of stuff. But at some point, you know, nothing, nothing really trumps a good personal relationship with comics because when they're booking a show, we know so many shows are booked by other comics. It's never a bad thing to have a good relationship with these guys. And that's how he talks about, that's how he got, I think it's the tonight show or whatever late night performance that he was able to get kind of just came through. Hey, there's a guy that just kind of knew he was right for certain things. and was put his name in the hat. And so invest in, invest some time and energy in your scene, get known, get to know people, hang out, uh, even if you're not performing, some of the best some of the best things you can do is just be there and be available, uh, and that that does pay off when you when you build those friendships. Yeah, and he basically said that's how he got all of his auditions was through relationships, including and it wasn't on the podcast. I don't think he talked about uh, how he was nice to Pete Davidson and Ricky Velez, uh, <laughs> who of course produced uh, the King of Staten Island with Judd Apatow, and that's how he got on, onto that film. And he's like, "Man, I was glad I was nice to those guys when they were coming up, right?" <laughs> right. So you never know. The you know the the mantra. He actually, I, I love that he said this. The mantra is, you know, don't be an asshole. Everybody talks about don't be an asshole in your scene. No, no, no. He said, be nice. It doesn't take that much effort to be nice to everybody. So I thought that was really nice. Uh, but that's some that's some behind the scenes, maybe in our in our uh, Patreon uh, that we don't have. <laughs> but but no, uh, the the thing that I call back to from that episode was just uh, getting the crowd back on your side. We talked about audience dynamics and difficult uh, audiences and, and the different scenarios you might run into and how to overcome those. And I thought I thought Mike had some nice perspective on that. So. Uh, go back, check out that episode, check out all the episodes. And then, you know what? Also follow us, tag us on the social medias. We never talk about that very often, but breaking down bits and all the things, the Instagrams, the Twitters, the Ashley Madison's, everything. And then uh, there. <laughs> and then uh, you can also email us if you have something you want to 
want to, if any recommendations for guests, uh, have any questions, comments, what you hear, breaking down bits at gmail.com. And uh, we'll, we'll get back to you. We are, are interactive on both email and social. All right, man. You want to do it? Let's do it. Let's go ahead and bring on our guest. Ahmed Weinberg is a Los Angeles-based comedian from Philadelphia. He's performed on Late Night with Seth Meyers, Comedy Central, Just for Laughs, and The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. His credits include writing, directing, and starring in Ahmed's Ramadan Diaries. He's also appeared in Comedy Bang Bang, The Eric Andre Show, I Love You America, Comedy Knockout, and Insecure. And his film Lovebirds premiered on Amazon Prime as a part of their inaugural Funny Fest short film festival. Hey, Ahmed Weinberg, how are you, man? Hey, what's uh all right so uh so where we usually start Ahmed, is we like to hear a little bit about your beginning so obviously you started in philly maybe talk about some of the early days and then get into some of the breaks that that you had along the way to get some of those like late night spots and credits that you that you found um yeah i started in philly i really the first time i did stand up was in uh sixth grade Oh, at wow. the uh, the the private all boys school that I that I went to because my parents were scared of me going to school in West Philly and uh, getting a fight. Was, <laughs> I was, got, yeah, yeah, exactly. You, you are you're Fresh Prince. That's what you are. You're from I'm, from, West. I'm, I'm from his. Yeah, there's murals of Will Smith around and moved uh, to L.A. Yeah, there it still is. Still proud. Yeah. Wow. Exactly. Do you live with Uncle Phil? We're still proud of him. No, I live alone. I have a studio, but um, <laughs> yeah, I just, uh, I, I got dared to do stand up in the talent show in sixth grade and uh, I did it. And I, I was mostly uh, reading jokes that my dad wrote for me. That was uh, <laughs> about awesome. being, about being Jewish and Muslim and being at a holy war with myself and uh, <laughs> like having no idea what that meant. And I really crushed, like, I remember feeling like, holy shit, this is the best feeling in the world. I wow. don't know really uh, how much of it was them laughing at me. I was, you know, very, I had a huge Afro and um, <laughs> stared at the ground and I would like, I like blacked out, you know, I, I was just so scared and uh I wasn't like a natural performer by any means. I was funny, but I wasn't like, Oh, I want to be on stage or I want to be, you know, an actor or anything like that. So uh, it was terrifying. And then I, you know, I remember feeling a little bit like cooler after that, like, like, like this was, I was in sixth grade. So like the eighth graders like thought I was cool. And then I don't know, as, as the years went on, I just kind of, I kept it in my, in my head, like as something I wanted to keep doing. And, uh, I didn't really do my first open mic, uh, until I, until I graduated high school, until, uh, I went to helium in Philly and did an open mic. And, um, I did like the same set pretty much, (laughs) uh, half Jewish, half Muslim. And, uh, I think it went pretty well then too. So I was like living in a real, like ignorant bliss, uh, like this is so easy. I'm so good at this. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be famous. Um, I, I moved to Vermont for college and I did a couple sets up there over the next two years. Like they had like a comedy competition that I placed in and, and there was like a couple other random shows. Like you would drive through the boonies and like perform in a theater. And um, those all went well too. I was like, 
I was just like, holy shit, I'm such a good comic. Like I remember calling my parents and just being like, I, I'm going to do stand up. Like I, I, I'm like really good at this, I guess. I, I never been this good at anything else, you know? And uh, what was their reply? I think they were, I, I don't think they believed me, you know, I, uh, they didn't graduate from college. Like they really wanted me to graduate. They really wanted me to like, you know, have a stable career in life. So I didn't like, I didn't want that. I wanted to like, I, I really wanted to move to New York and be a comic. And so after my sophomore year of college, I did an internship in New York. Uh, and I started doing stand up in the, in New York, uh, at, at open mics and, uh, just like fucking ate shit, like so hard, just like constantly having my face smashed into the pavement and feeling like, Oh, I am actually so unbelievably bad at this and should never do this again. But like, I kept doing it, you know, so there was something to it. I, I like had a romanticism at the very least. And uh, there were a couple comics who like liked my jokes, you know? Yeah. Um, I think that's part of everyone's story though. I think so many people like, you know, even if you get laughs in your first open mic, there's always going to be a season of where you're, you know, you just get, you just have bad sets and you don't know, you haven't got, you haven't honed the skills yet. Even if you have some of the jokes are right, the performance is bad. And I, I mean, I know I totally went through that. Maybe like I had a couple of good sets early on and then maybe there was a couple years or at least a year where it very hit or miss and boy took some, took some toasty bombs on the way. But there's the only difference is I think in a bad comic and a good comic is, will you, do you keep doing it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's all it takes actually. It's just to keep doing it. But I, I think also the New York open mic scene is probably similar to LA where it's just hell. Like there's really yeah. no, I, I was bombing, but I, you know, I wasn't as probably bad as I thought I was, but it was a yeah. nice humility check and it was just, uh, yeah. And then I went to, I went back to Philly after that and did a semester in Philly at, at Temple university and, I started doing more stand up and and met a couple of good comics there like John McKeever and uh Tommy Pope and there was like some some dudes in Philly that like really liked me and kind of took me under their wing and and uh and then I got an internship out in LA through through my film school or I did a semester in LA through my film school and got an internship uh at Tim and Eric's company at Absolutely Productions and and uh yeah. So then I was like, we're, I was like an intern on, on their movie that shot in an abandoned mall in the middle of the desert. And I was just like, <laughs> I was just in disbelief, you know, I was like, this is, I'm the luckiest human being on the world. It, like I, looking back, I was, you know, working slave labor and, and like doing so much for no money, but that was, it was so exciting and so fun to like break in and be working in like show business and like on a movie and, you know, in comedy yeah. and cool comedy stuff. So, um, yeah. And then I worked for them. I worked for that company for like five years. I, I dropped out and I stayed out here and, uh, I've just been out here for, you know, 11 years really. So some so. of the, some of the film chops and stuff that you've been a part of, that's something that you do have some training in and obviously got a fair amount of real world experience doing it, but you, that, that was a passion for you kind of growing up was the, the film side of things. 
I went to film school because I, I mean, I used to make little films with my friends. We were, we were just like making stupid little comedy films, but I never, like, I, I didn't think like, oh, I want to be a movie maker or, you know, like work in television. I, I like just the idea of doing stand up was all that brought me to film school. I just thought, oh, like this is somewhat related somehow, you know, I didn't even know why, but um, I mean, I always like movies, you know, I was always like a big fan of film, but um but yeah, then I, then I worked uh, in production for, for five years. And so I learned a lot just being on set and uh, doing a billion things at once. And, um, you know, learning like really the logistical parts of how, how movies are made, like how to get everyone together and what you need and how you do it. So, and then learning how to direct was just kind of like part of that, you know, making my own stuff. Yeah. For sure. Well, yeah, I had some good lucky. I was lucky to be at, at, at that company when I got there. It was very small and uh, there was a lot of opportunity to just like learn and be there. And um, yeah, and then I, I quit production work uh, when I was just starting to make a lot of money and get really like good production jobs. I, I decided to I like appease the comedy gods and be like, I don't want to be a producer and I just want to be a comedian and be creative. And, uh, and that was really a bad idea <laughs> in retrospect. I, I should have done it for another year and saved up and, and then taken time off. Cause I, I just was so broke for so long at that point. Like yeah. it was miserable, really miserable, but, um, how broke? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean like literally, uh, you know, I would be like collecting unemployment or uh, driving, driving Postmates at the same time as uh, Airbnb in my apartment. Oh, wow. So I'd be, I'd be like driving Postmates to pay for my car and then sleeping on my friend's couch to pay for my place. And I would have like a week out of the month where I just like lived in my apartment and <laughs> had and just like had my car and it was, yeah, it was just, I mean, I was still doing open mics all the time and I continued to feel really romantic about it. And, uh, you know, I really just like, I don't know what was wrong with me. I just, <laughs> I just wanted to like take all these risks and live life in this like adventurous, crazy way. And, and, uh, you know, now I feel much more like I just want to be comfortable, you know, <laughs> now I feel like I'm like, I've put in, I put in those years. I'm, I'm ready to like have money and, and, you know, not deal with that shit anymore. But, um, yeah, but yeah, those are the times where I really learned how to do comedy. I mean, for sure. And I was doing two or three open mics a night for like that whole time, you know? So that's when I really cut my teeth. Got it. So that all happened in LA basically like your real come up and, and the learning most of your comedy chops really came starting in LA yeah oh yeah i would not recommend it like I, <laughs> I would i would go back and tell myself like to make so many different moves but you know it all seemed to work out in the end but yeah. learning how to do stand-up in la is just a huge mistake um, <laughs> it, the the stage time is just awful um like you don't get long sets ever you know like now i'm just getting them but uh 
I had to just grind and grind and grind doing shitty open mics after shitty open mic. And, and then I would start, you know, I started traveling and I would go to like San Francisco or, uh, you know, back to Philly or, you know, even New York and be like, Oh my God, you guys have like, there's real stage time, you know, like you guys get to like perform for audiences. It's not just like other comics, you know? And, mm-hmm. and it's like, I can't believe I just skipped this. <laughs> like, yeah. It was, it was crazy. But, um, but yeah, I mean, all, overall, I, I, I got really tough, you know, and uh, I was, I was a really hard worker. So that all, that all had its benefits and learned all its lessons and stuff, you know? Yeah. So what, so once you got kind of a little further down the road and and you're struggling through it for stage time and, and working through, what was the first kind of um, big break that kind of said, you know, in LA that you kind of got to perform that was kind of a big show or a turning point that happened in LA for you? Um, you know, that's a good question. I mean, what happened? I was, it's actually Ramadan right now and I'm fasting because of, you know, my, my upbringing. And I was, I was fasting, uh, throughout those years as well as just kind of like a a connection back to my childhood. And, you know, being out here, you're, I feel like just surrounded by like atheists and like godless, godless people. (laughs) So it was kind of just like in my own way, like how I'm going to like maintain my connection to all that. Uh And, um, I started keeping these journals, uh, that I just put posted on Facebook and, uh, I just called it a Hamid's Ramadan diary. And and they were just like stream of consciousness, like weird thoughts that I was having and essays. And sometimes they would be about like fasting. And sometimes they would just be like an absurd, like weird conversation that I would write in my head between two random people. And, um, that, that happened what okay so then i put that all on a tumblr and then somehow sarah silverman when she was uh she was traveling um someone retweeted me and she looked at my bio and read that and and uh she she followed me and she like really loved all those essays that i wrote so then um she wanted to work with me and then uh at the same about that same time i got management and i did i did jfl and um I also, uh, I made some connections at Comedy Central and that the lady there, Syra, she was a big fan of Ramadan Diaries and um, I pitched that as a web series and uh, then she kind of like spearheaded that and got that to happen and uh, things started moving after that. I mean, it was, it was, uh, I had, I had a good few years there where I was like um, pitching stuff and making a lot of web series and, and, uh, I was given, you know, some opportunities. I was like this new, like young comedian director guy. And, uh, you know, and there was also money at that time for uh, like short form web content that Comedy Central had and a few other places. So um, that short film I made too was like another thing where they were just like, yeah, we just want to like give young creatives opportunities. And that, that kind of stuff is really dried up. Like that's not, the reality now it seems like there's uh you know tiktok and and instagram are, are really like how people um show off their skills and talents and mm-hmm. um, how they get opportunities now 
I think though, like you, you talked about posting it on Tumblr. I mean, the medium has changed, but the idea of creating, I mean, you know, that, that was a nice testament to always be writing because you never know what that might amount to or what that might come to, even if it's not stand up. But I mean, I think if you're, as long as you're creating, let's just take this, you know, step back and just be like, you're creating and you're putting it on TikTok. And Drew, you're doing a nice job with some of this, at least with your stand up. New to Drew, if I haven't seen a new episode in a while, but just be out there creating. You might connect with people, you might connect with important mm-hmm. people, and then things start <clears throat> to happen for you. Yeah. I mean, I would say, like, I, I think that also just doing things that you actually care about is the most important. Like, I think there is right now this real, fever pitch like desire to to like put shit out constantly and um that's just like not how i work i am i'm much more like i wait and and like when something really strikes me or when i'm i'm having fun that's when i want to put something out but i I, uh, I, I recommend that way. I know like probably my manager would say I'm wrong and that uh, <laughs> you should just be putting shit out all the time. And that's how people get followers and stuff. But, um, in my experience, like doing things that you actually care about is how you get, uh, you know, better opportunities. It might take longer. It might be a, a weirder path and yeah. you feel weird that you're not posting and getting as much attention, but, um, we were just, no, talk- think- we were just talking yeah. about it. True. Yeah, we were talking about that. And actually there was a, I forgot who he had on the podcast. It was it, um, uh, it was another LA guy. Uh, gosh, who, what's his name? Mike, no, uh, Ron G maybe. I forget who it was, was talking about how like, uh, whatever you do, especially in this kind of a season that we're in right now with social media, you better love everything you do. Cause if something pops off, and someone is like, wants to do something with it and you hate the character. It's a dumb thing that you did. You might have to, you might have to be Steve Urkel for the rest of your life. Uh, if that's, you know, so it's, like it, it's it makes, Francisco, Francisco Ramos, it was Francisco talking oh, about yeah, how yeah. be cl- like, do what, do things that you really care about. And also in the TikTok and social media thing, it seems like, um, if you do things that you're truly passionate about and content that you really care about when someone finds your channel or your page, if they connect with you, then they're going to connect with all of your content and they'll go through and they'll watch everything and they'll follow you because you're not just shotgun doing a bunch of random stuff. All your things are true to yourself. And if they connect with one thing, then they might connect with the rest maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do, I, I try to just make things that I am proud of and uh, you know, I don't have a ton of followers, but I do find like people, uh, people like, who do uh, like what I do, uh, like they actually, you know, they appreciate it a lot. So, yeah, um, it's a deeper, there's, other, there's a deeper connection and uh, there's other avenues to, you know, working um, besides having a ton of followers. And I think that's important to know, you know, um, there's, there's depth and breath. Like, you know, there's, there's breath and being the backstreet boys, but there's a lot of depth to being grateful dead. You know, and so <laughs> this guy in the green, the, the most popular band of all time. <laughs> no, but, you know, they're not, but they, but they, they're fans that, that love them, love them dearly and travel with them and have their tapes and stuff. And, and you know, the depth of that is more meaningful. Yeah. 
Uh, you would never guess that Brian is a jam band fan, but <laughs> it's incredible. He is a total nerd for those guys. <laughs> well, I'm, I mean, I'm a huge deadhead. I don't know. Brian, oh, okay. We talked about that, but yeah. No, we didn't. See, Drew? All right, we're going we're gonna to kick you out of here and just talk I'm the odd man out here. I, I mean, I'm not against them, but I just that, that's never been my thing exactly. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're different than fish or, you know, like I, I just think they're a lot more like soulful and, and uh, you know, they're, they're a lot more folksy than, than real like jam band jam bands that you're thinking of. But uh-huh. I also, I'm not going to tell you to listen to the grateful dead. You just have to, <laughs> you have to decide hey, to. It's, hey, John Mayer, John Mayer is a fan of them and travels with them. So that's got to mean something. And you're a huge John Mayer fan. I mean, I appreciate what he does. Yeah. See, that's uh, I'm a lot, gu- lot. I'm a guitar guy, so I always have to appreciate anyone who's mastered an instrument to that level. You ha- you can't you can't not have respect for him, whether you like his music or not. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I, I wish it was still Jerry Garcia, but I think it's fun. It's fun to see the shows and see John Mayer like with his huge Rolex playing music. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a different like, vibe, huh? <laughs> very, very different vibe. Like, like wearing athleisure and a Rolex is, <laughs> I don't, I don't think that was the initial intent. Of, <laughs> kind of a curious uh, choice there, but you know. Yeah. Well, yeah. The one, the one thing that, uh, before we get into writing and stuff, I wanted to hit on was the, Ama- the, the short film, uh, with Amazon prime, uh, talk a little bit about, yeah, love birds. Uh, talk about that project. Um, yeah, that was uh, they they like selected a few filmmakers to make like low budget short films, um, and I was selected just by submitting a script that I wrote that I thought would never ever get made. It was like this very like fairy tale absurdist. It required a lot of animals to pull it off. And uh, (laughs) it was just something that I wrote, like just like out, it was another example. Like I just wrote it because it was so fun. Like I just, I just liked the concept of uh, this guy, like falling in love with a girl and like taking her essence and like the representing that through like birds. And it was just, they, they just liked it, you know? So, uh, yeah, we got to make that movie. We had like, we had like animal wranglers that, that, you know, we had like eight or 10 pigeons at all time (laughs) that were like trained, trained doves and pigeons. And, um, yeah, that was a, that was a really fun shoot. It was just like, I, I, my acting was pretty much silent the whole time. And uh, it was just a very visual piece. And I got to work with my, my buddy, Jordan, who's my DP. He does like all my stuff. And it was just like, it was just fun and weird and cool. I, I don't want to give too much away because it is, if it does sound intriguing, then I guess watch it, you know, but, um, yeah. but yeah, that, that was a very cool opportunity for sure. And I think that's linked. If you go to your Instagram, I think you have that on your link tree. If you if you want to find that, um, find that short film it's i i saw that earlier yeah, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't get a chance to watch the whole thing but i saw the link to it and i, I watched just the intro <laughs> yeah. so sub- submitting scripts uh was something that, that stood out so how often are you submitting that type of stuff are you still doing that that now uh-huh. um i think you know i think like when there's a a job that my my manager and like lit agent want me to go out for they will submit stuff that i've already written 
and stuff that I've made, like they would, you know, if, if it was like a more absurd project, then they might send that short film, you know, and then, and then like a script that I wrote or something. So uh, I think they're doing that stuff now more, more than I am. I used to reach out more. I mean, most jobs though, that I've ever gotten has not been through them. I will say it's just been uh, through a friend and, and them getting an opportunity and, uh, them liking me and knowing me and wanting to work with me. Like that is how pretty much a hundred percent of any opportunities I've gotten. Like you, you kind of have this idea like, Oh, if I get a manager or an agents that I'll be successful. And it's like, it's just completely not true. It's really like, actually just have to give them money that they didn't even help you earn. Like it's, I, I will say like getting on late night, you know, that was like my manager's doing and, and my managers have definitely hooked up a lot of cool experiences and opportunities, but um, most of the actual like career big moments have come through just friends and connections and people liking you and liking shit you make. And um, it all comes back to just like doing stuff that you feel passionate about for a long enough time, you know, and like, everyone kind of catches on eventually if you, if you care enough. Yeah. Before we jump into commenting, one more quick follow-up because I am super interested um, yeah. for comics who are interested and would have some desire to explore script writing and, and writing for film. Do you have any resources that got you started there? Or how did you, yeah. How do you get into that? What would you tell someone who was maybe a comedian who was like, man, I think I'd like to take a stab at that. Is there a is there a, a book or a resource that can help them learn that script writing and that kind of writing as opposed to just regular comedy writing? I think like screenwriting is uh, just a muscle. Like it's very different than writing jokes. Like I write jokes basically just uh, mostly on stage, and uh, with with screenwriting, it's like actually. Uh, just visual and imagination based. And, and like, I would say that the best way to do it is to read a bunch of pilots, you know, if that's what you want to write or uh, you know, it's all this shit just like online now. So sure. You can, you can find pilots for like your favorite show and just read them. And, you know, you kind of just start to learn what is, what happens in a pilot, you know, I'm just like, meeting everybody and setting up a setting up the world and, and the funny situation. And then, you know, why people would want to keep watching it. Um, I find like, like getting too much into the, like, you know, screenwriting class and, and like learning from, uh, you know, screenwriting professionals and masters. Like I am much more under the school of just like doing it and, and like reading shit that, that you like and then just writing shit that, that you like. And, you mm-hmm. know, I think that's, that's where I, that's my method really basically. But yeah, there's a website. I can't remember what it's called. You probably know it's like the black something the, where they, all these scripts are just out there and you can like, look at them. I imagine if you go and kind of look and see some, look at some scripts of some of your yeah. favorite, favorite films or whatever it is and get the feel for it, that might help you just as a thought. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I saw, I definitely saw like some treatment, like there's some famous treatments of like somebody put it out there. And maybe some book I was reading was like a treatment for ET two. 
and it's like oh, nice. and it's like out there and like they made a treatment and wrote a treatment for et2 and then never made the movie um and it's super interesting to see what a treatment is which is just like basically a a, a brief synopsis of what is going to happen in a, in a film uh-huh. um and uh that was super interesting i've i've always been kind of interested in that and wanted to dip my toe into that a little more because i do like i do video projects and stuff like that and i've always been curious of like how do i take a stab at this because i love sitcoms and i love short films and, and projects like that but um i don't know something I, I, I maybe that sounds like a great idea just like grab some pilots and read through and see what see what it is and then just kind of take a stab at it I mean, I was, I was using those pilots just for basically learning structure, you know? Um, But I think as far as writing something like that's going to capture the attention of somebody, like you want to write something that you really can be excited about and relate to and and that you think is such a cool idea, you know, cause that, that's going to read, that's actually what people are going to like understand through that. And it's got to be something you're willing to be excited about for a while because it's not a quick process. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. And uh, very often ends in heartbreak. But, uh, right. you know, at the end of the day, though, still like all the failure I've gone through, it's still just been like part of the process, you know. Right. So, so writing like that, very different than your comedy writing. Um, to transition more that you said you're more of a an on stage, but we we always leave it super open. We just say, how does a Hamid Weinberg write comedy? It's it's changed like so much. Like I think when I was I used to write a lot of tweets and would just sit down and try to write funny jokes like on my Twitter. Um, and I barely use Twitter anymore, but it was just like I, I would get a little bit of feedback on Twitter just to be like, oh, this was actually a funny idea. Sure. And then take that and then take that to an open mic and like present it basically. And it mm-hmm. was usually just small ideas, you know, cause of Twitter's format, but uh, more and more, I've just been like trying to figure out something I want to talk about that I either think is in- interesting or, you know, funny and uh, you know, going to an open mic or two and just like, seeing if there's anything um and then you know just bringing it on shows and just like just talking you know like i i think i've i've been like a lot more comfortable just being loose and just trying new ideas out and that's you know it's very it's a it's almost stand up in my mind like if there is a god of of this like weird art form like you get rewarded for taking risks and, and just like putting your, putting your shit out there, like, like being courageous, you know? So do you, yeah. do you bounce ideas off of anybody before you take it to stage? Do you have any partners or people you write with, or is it always a one man game? It's always one man. Like I've definitely, if I'm out with a friend who I, who is a, is a comic, like I might run a joke by them, but almost every time they give me a tag or something that they think is a good idea. It's just not right. It's just, <laughs> yeah. and, I'll, and I'll even listen right. to it and be like, Holy shit, that's such a good idea. And then try it out on stage and it just doesn't work. And it's just, it didn't come from my head. It doesn't ring true. It's not my sensibility. It's whatever the reason is. Um, yeah. I like talking about jokes with friends, but as far as what I say on stage, it's almost just like, it's usually just something, you know, stuff that I 
just said before, you know. But I think that's such a good uh, searching for content and searching for for uh, jokes in things that you are deeply uh, passionate about, interested in is a weird thing that sometimes I feel like we somehow magically miss. Like we're so comics sometimes are so in the mode to just create the quick laugh and you end up writing a bunch of material about things that aren't really deeply important to you. And it just like, just hearing you say that is like a big duh, write more about the things that you're interested in and you care about and mean something to you and find the funny in that. But there seems like sometimes I can, I even find myself like stretching to find these, create these dumb jokes that are really don't really mean anything to me. And and that's probably a waste of my time. Yeah. I mean, I can, if, if I'm just driving and I see something that's funny and I'm like, I know why that's funny. Like, that's a very simple, like, I, I can just be like, I understand this joke, you know, but when I talk about something that's like really impactful or scary to talk about or like, or interesting or dark, uh, that's a much harder process, but the, what it actually comes out of it at the end is like, stuff that's like way better, you know, and just yeah. like that you can be like sure that you're going to be excited about talking about, you know, so it doesn't, it doesn't like get old. It doesn't make you feel bad to keep doing it. You're like, <laughs> I actually care about this and it, it interests and intrigues me. So it's, I think, I think it's a big game you're playing with yourself, you know, mm-hmm. um, and you have to be like true to yourself as far as like, what you actually think is funny and what you actually think is interesting because that'll just keep you going. Yeah. We talked about, um, I always forget who said what Brian will probably clear me up, but talking about finding your voice and ultimately, you know, people expect this big aha moment of finding your voice. And then when you find it, you're just like, Oh no, it's just me. It's just, Renan Hirschberg. There we go. You always know the guy. That was such a good point. Like, I think we the whole finding your voice thing in comedy, we expect it to be like, aha, now I've got it. And then when you find it, it's just like, yeah, that's just how the inside of my head sounds. Yeah, it's, uh, finally, it's finally in alignment to what I'm saying on stage years later. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I also, I think living your life in a way that's like adventurous and interesting is, is also another good tip. Like, just taking weird opportunities and chances and, and like, you know, if, if your life is interesting, you're going to have a lot to talk about, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I, I at least, you know, try to do it that way too. You do. I mean, when you came in for the last show, I mean, here we go, we go to, we talked about the movie, but we also, I'd never been to a vintage store before and here I am shopping at vintage short. And these are like interesting things where there's comedy to be found. (laughs) You know, my perspective on shirts and things that happened in the nineties, I'm a kid from the nineties. So there's definitely comedy there. I haven't really written to it, but just a testament in that short window of time that I got to know you just out doing interesting things and output is, can be comedy. Yeah. But I mean, that's just the way I am. Like I, I can't like stay in a hotel all day. So I'm always like, what's here and what can I, what can I go do and see? Um, I'm sure it's tons of comics just sit in the hotel and like write jokes and that's how they do it. But um, right. yeah, I think to each their own really, as long as you're, I think you just got to like feel comfortable and have fun, you know, as much as you can. That's important. 
as far as like doing more writing on stage, like you said you do, and do you have an improv background or is there something that you do to get yourself in a place? Cause I, I know I've found at times you get out on stage and I'm just not in the mood to, to, you know, to kind of explore, I, you know, it's hard, it's hard to sometimes get in the headspace to be loose and explore new things and, and go down pathways that aren't familiar. Is there something you do to prepare yourself or make yourself ready to, to kind of be in that headspace? I mean, that's a great question. You know, I, I do think like sometimes, uh, I wish that I wrote differently or worked differently cause I won't be in the right mind frame to like go out and just be like fun and loose and adventurous. And I'll have like rough sets. Cause I'm like, Oh, I haven't been like constructing <laughs> these jokes. Really. They just, re- they actually rely on me being like happy and enjoying this. Right. And, uh, if I'm not in the mood, then yeah, I can have some rough sets, but, uh, I think most of the time, I just think the actual excitement of doing new stuff and of being experimental, it carries me through. I don't have, uh, improv background or anything like that, but I, you know, I did so many open mics where I like push myself to, to do that just to go up with nothing, you know, and like, just eat shit or find something or, you know, I've just like developed that muscle, I guess, which, yeah, that's terrifying. I think that, but the, but the audience will give you, even as a pro comic, uh, one dig out for free, you'll get one for free. Like, ah, that didn't work. And you can do that. So you should always use that card in every single set. Why not? You have it. So try new stuff every time. No, you have that safety net. Yeah, for sure. And also probably if you're really enjoying what you're talking about, they will, even right. if it's not that, even if it's not that funny. Um, I just think they will. I just have a feeling. And it's not the first thing you say, right? You've already established, you've built trust with them that you're funny. So you're right. They'll, and you're enjoying yourself. So they'll enjoy, even if it's not the funniest, then, then it continues to develop from there. I do like to riff up top though. I think that's, uh, I think that's really fun. I like to just walk out and like, talk about whatever happened my during my day or, or the room or, you know, like we, I just kept talking about seeing the movie with you. That just became like how I opened my sets. And that was, that was, that keeps me entertained. I'm like, right. oh, this thing I'm going to do is really exciting and scary. And then I get to go into my safety net of material. So the stuff that's safer even still feels fun, even though I've said it a billion times um, because I, I just tricked myself into thinking I'm, being more spontaneous. So that's yeah. different. Drew, do you ever, I mean, we, we've kind of taught, I guess maybe cause we're newer, we're taught not to come out with the new material and, and cause we still got to establish trust and, and find our funny, but it is, you're right though. I mean, maybe that is another strategy come out with a new fresh, get yourself excited and then, you know, continue on with your proven stuff. Yeah, I know for me, I mean, I, I definitely have way more fun in a set where I know that at least I have something new and something, <laughs> something I haven't done before, something fresh, like, there's nothing better than coming out and having a new joke or talking about something different. Cause um, you, you do get a little tired of some of the older material that maybe you've really honed and you've worked on it, but um, it can feel like, I guess I'm always wanting to progress. I'm always wanting to have grow more material, get better and just showing up and doing material that I already know works is it doesn't really get the job done for me. It might, it might do okay for the crowd if if they haven't heard that material before, but it doesn't do anything for me. Yeah. But I mean, when you're doing an hour, it's like, I got to pull out all the 
jokes. Yeah. Oh, for like sure. Everything I've written, you know, yeah, but, yeah. uh, I, I, yeah, at least in the beginning and somewhere in the middle and, you know, just like throw some new shit in there and even some just stuff that you've never even thought of or said before. And like, that's, I think it's just fun, you know? Absolutely. Sometimes just yeah. talking about the room when you walk out is like, you get some really fun laughs You get the room relaxed. If, if there's something weird in the set, in the setting behind you or something weird happening, just show, I think there's gotta be something always valuable for showing the people in the room. I'm here with you. I'm not going to be up here just doing a monologue of jokes I've memorized. I'm here. This is a live experience. Well, I mean, yeah, you're talking about like building trust with the audience. Like what's cooler than seeing someone come out and he's clearly just talking about something he hasn't ever thought of before. And and it's like, Oh, like, I, I don't know. That's like, if I'm in a crowd, I like to watch that. I'd like to see mm-hmm. someone just be, be present. And then I'm like, Oh, that's really like, it's really cool. And, fun and it gets me excited for the rest of the set yeah absolutely and you get those free laughs like the crowds love it when it's something spontaneous so a crowd work always it's kind of annoying as a comic you know but it seems like sometimes crowd work gets a bigger laugh than the stuff you've worked for years on (laughs) to try to (laughs) to craft and create but they because they know it's spontaneous and it's real yeah kind of feels like the the that they respect that the crowds know when you're something's canned and they know when you're being honest and real and, and just, you know, transparent with whatever's going on in your head. Yeah. One thing we get to, um, it is a set list. So it sounds like obviously you like to come out and talk about things that are fresh and new and present in the room. And then from there, do you, you prepare to set list or how does that look for you for shorter set versus a longer set? Um, I used to prepare a set list much more, but uh, yeah, like if I'm doing an hour, I might jot down at least everything new that I really want to do. Um, and then I feel like when I go into my old material, it's it's not autopilot, but I kind of, I know that terrain well enough that I don't have to really make like, here's my set list. That's like my whole hour, you know, I can just kind of theorize the new stuff and then the rest of the stuff I can just kind of wing it, I guess. Um, yeah, that's fun. And um, last second before you step on stage, any, any uh, mantras, any last minute little rituals that you do to prepare yourself before you step out uh, before a set? You know, I, I think I've gone through phases of thinking about that stuff, but Nowadays, I don't really. Um, I used to do this thing where I forget where I heard it, but there was like a, like holding your arms up like this. Um, <laughs> oh, like the I Superman heard. pose or something like that? It's basically supposed to trick your mind into like releasing endorphins because oh. what I heard was like when people cross the finish line when they're racing and they like do this, that's yeah. not even them that's not like that. That's just because you feel good and your body like wants to be big and Uh. and like happy and excited. So if you just do this, like hold your arms up in the air for like 20 seconds, then, you know, you're, you'll start feeling like good about yourself and confident and stuff. And I, we we are all doing that this weekend. Touchdown. I'm down. Yeah. Let's see. Let's see if it works. Let's do an AB test. Early show, no hands, late show. Yes, exactly. 
so I so we got a clip we're gonna play. It's a quick one. It's from your uh, late night with uh, Stephen Colbert, uh, and it, I, I, it's the joke I found you. So when when I booked you last year, I was stuck inside during quarantine. I was just it was just had comedy playing on YouTube for like. 72 hours straight and it popped up and this joke stuck with me on uh on the colbert show and, and made me think of you think of booking you later on so uh but do you remember the show uh just a specific taping anything special or significant about the the show or the the uh, the, the day colbert yeah it was very interesting it was uh he was not there it was like a bunch of comics just taping their stand-up sets Huh. And then they edit them in like he introduces you as if you're there, but right. really it's like a pre-taped stand-up bit. So um, there it was kind of like when I did Seth Meyers, I met him and it was like very special and uh, not seeing Stephen Colbert, even like he wasn't even there. It was very <laughs> strange. Um, but I mean, the advantage of it was like, it just kind of ran more like a stand-up show. So mm-hmm. there was like a host there was the full audience in the theater and then it was like everyone just did, you know, five or six minutes and they're doing it that way kind of felt a little more comfortable and fun. So it had its advantages and disadvantages. And I was also wearing a suit for some reason. I just like, I just thought like I should wear a suit when I do stand up on TV. I don't, I don't think I would have done that now, but um, there was something fun. It was kind of like, I should just do this. Like it's a special moment. It's a moment. Yeah. It's a moment. We'll play the uh, first minute up top. Here we go. My name is Ahmed. Sorry to confuse you. I was raised Muslim, and uh, a lot of people are scared of Muslims right now, I think because our names are longer. That's my theory. You know, in America, we like short names. You know, you meet someone, they're like, hi, I'm Bob. You're you're like, thank God. (laughs) Bob, it's a good name. It's over before it started, you know. You meet a Muslim, they're like, hello, my name is Muhammad Latif Al-Kabiri. It's like, bro, I don't have all day to meet you, you know. (laughs) I can't meet you for hours. It's... And Muslim names have these majestic meanings. They're always like, my name means the prophet plucked the petal from the rose and meditated under the mango tree for 20 years. Americans are like, that's cool, my name's Frank. So that means hot dog. This is my buddy John, that means toilet. And this is my friend Lou, that, that means toilet. <laughs> it's just hot dog or toilet if you need to guess. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, it's like, I, I, can, I can almost like feel my nerves, like, like feeling like I, like I flubbed like words and being, and like in the moment being like, fuck. <laughs> that was on TV, you know? It's a terrifying feeling yeah the whole, it, it was a fun set it was fun the whole late night thing seems like there's a lot of pressure it's a it's such a it's filmed it's it's going out to the masses it's got to be a lot of pressure behind the scenes to prepare and, and when you're walking out you got to it's got to feel so different than a regular show yeah it's a very special experience but it's also like uh it's i think it's it's kind of on its way out like i think people are just going to start now that you can post any clip you want, you know, on your Instagram, like 
there's no reason to like have it be like, well, this is it. This is the one opportunity right. I get. Like now you can really tape a bunch of sets and make sure it's exactly how you like it. And sure. there's more room for error. But they, yeah, I mean, it's cool. It's like, it's a very like old school, like fun. You're a comic, you're, you're at 30 rock or wherever. And you know, you're the, you're in the green room and then you get to be on TV. And it's, it's cool. It's fun. It is a weird change for sure. We've talked to so many comics now and <clears throat> the general consensus of everyone is used to, you know, you get JFL, you get a late night experience, a late night show and that, skyrockets and starts your career and changes everything for you and now it's just times are just different i mean it's still it's still a great get it's still really good but it doesn't change your life like maybe it used to 10 uh 10 years ago yeah i mean I, it sucks because i wish i wish things were the <laughs> way they where they used to be because i feel like i've done a bunch of stuff that in the 80s or 90s you know i would have been uh sick you know yeah, just much more successful yeah but full house with a hamed weinberg <laughs> yeah. exactly <laughs> all right um, so so we'll we'll roll into our uh, our last segment Ahmed. it's called last laugh bear with us we play this graphic Some high quality stuff right there. Okay. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, insert joke here. So, you, you uh, what is the joke that you want to be remembered by? Is your last laugh? The joke you have on your tombstone could be yours. One of your comedy heroes. What is it? Um, I don't think it could be mine. That feels so. Well, what's Rodney Dangerfields? It says there goes the neighborhood. <laughs> Do you know, I didn't that? know that? I didn't know that. Is that really his tombstone? Oh, wow. That's funny. Yeah, that's what his tombstone says. Um, God, Rodney, da like any Rodney Dangerfield joke. Hold on. I'm going to find some good ones. Sorry, I'm not prepared. No, we don't prepare you for it. It's like, what is this graphic in this thing? <laughs> um, oh, what does he say? Oh, my wife put a mirror above our bed so she could watch herself laugh. <laughs> that's such a good joke <laughs> talk about finding um, your voice that guy really had it nailed there's and late, so, and late my, in age like in his my 40s wife, anything about my wife is so funny to me because it's so misogynistic and like old and like stupid <laughs> like there's now now even like the my wife jokes like they've taken on a sense of like irony as well as just being such funny jokes Right. That uh my wife made me join a bridge club. I jump off next Tuesday. It's like <laughs> get divorced. Like, what are you doing? Why do you hate your wife? Why like Yeah, it was like the norm was to hate your wife. That was like everyone they paint the picture as in everyone hates your every everyone, every guy hates their wife. There she's such a buzzkill, she's the worst. <laughs> 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 yeah it's like you you didn't have to marry her like i'm sorry you got married when you were like 16 years old that was right. probably a bad idea <laughs> um she's probably sexually repressed if anything <laughs> right i think like what, wasn't the first one like take my wife please oh, i forgot who that that's a famous like first tightest wife joke ever <laughs> yeah 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 I don't know. Anyway, any wife joke, put it on there. <laughs> from, from a man, not married. Not married. <laughs> yeah. Not even close. <laughs> yes, uh, I make Just a lot of jokes. Throw him a curveball. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, this, man, this is, uh, this has been a lot of fun. Um, and thank you for, for joining. Uh, thank you everybody for listening. And of course, if you're in Houston, we'll get this thing out and you'll catch the riot. You'll see him. Ahmed, if you don't catch him this time, well, we'll do it all again, maybe next year, but, uh, or if you're in any city, come into a city near you or certainly in LA. So, uh, how do people find you, uh, on the, on the, on the, on the internet? Where where do we find you? Oh, just, it's always just my name, you know, A H A M E D. And then Weinberg spelled normal Jewish style. Um, yeah, that's it. Nobody, nobody else combined those two names together in the history of man, yeah. mankind. <laughs> so we, we all know that I get that right. Yeah. I'm Weinberg. Uh, well, thanks again, man. And we'll, we'll see you soon. Thank you everybody for cool. listening. This has been oh, yeah. breaking down bits. Thanks man. See you guys soon. Thank you so much. Yeah. for listening to breaking down bits you can keep in touch or get more when you follow at breaking down bits on social media visit the website breakingdownbits.com or shoot us an email at breakingdownbits@gmail.com. at gmail.com